Hey, super friends, this is Elena, and I'm here to say... No, I'm only joking. I'm not going to bust out a rap song like your Tio Pepe from Sunland Park. But what I am going to do is tell you about another way to support us and the show. Every week, we broadcast a new episode. 52 is the amount of episodes that we released last year. The number of bonus episodes that we released was one. Many more could have been recorded for only $2 a month. That's just six cents a day. You can receive our episodes a week early and ad-free. Join online and Tio Pepe will personally send you a welcome kit with your free stickers. Your donation says, we are here to help you. Please log on right now at patreon.com slash technically a conversation. Few bands have made a bigger impact on music and pop culture than The Misfits. Their unique brand of horror punk transcended genres and influenced everyone from Guns N' Roses to Metallica. But constant fighting and lineup changes led to the band dissolving before they could enjoy the popularity and loyal fan base that they would eventually develop. Today, we'll talk about the formation of the band, key moments in the band's history, the events that led to their breakup, and their inevitable reunion on this episode of Technically a Conversation. Greetings, you're listening to Technically a Conversation a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Isela. How are you doing today? Doing pretty fabulous. How are you doing? I'm doing great also, thank you. Great. Are you excited for the Super Bowl? I hear Taylor Swift's team is going. You must be so proud of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure she'll do great. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've followed much of football this year. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint people. That's okay. I haven't followed it at all this year. But I do know about all the Taylor Swift news <laughs> yeah. and everything that's been going on. I feel like everybody has, uh, <laughs> has heard about that. <laughs> and you know that Taylor Swift is the closest thing this country has to a religious icon. And the conspiracy theories keep on coming. Yeah, it's wild. This one was shared to us. Courtesy of our super patron, super friend, Eric. <gasps> Let me know if you've heard this conspiracy. Okay. There's a conspiracy that Taylor Swift is a clone of Zena LaVey. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Do you know who Zena LaVey is? No. Okay. So she is none other than the daughter of Anton LaVey, the founder of the, of the Church of Satan. So what? I want you to Google her. Oh, like what she looks like? Yes. What? Xena. Okay, so I'm assuming Xena starts with an X. What is that? Z-E-E-N-A. Oh, God, see? And, oh, LaFay, L-A... V-E-Y. Oh, V-E-Y. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Like Anton LaVey. Okay. She looks nothing like her. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> okay. I actually think they look identical. Now, obviously, <laughs> I don't believe that conspiracy theory, but it's uncanny how similar they look. Apparently, there's an old conspiracy theory that goes all the way back to 2016. Mm. I couldn't find any evidence or anything that would support the theory, aside from Xena quitting the Satanic Church in 1990, 
which was the same year that Taylor Swift was born. (laughs) (laughs) Conspiracy theorists, they have so much time on their hands. It's really wild. Indeed. Do you want to hear another weird conspiracy? Uh, sure. (laughs) So now that Spotify and Apple Podcasts are doing transcripts of our episodes, maybe the true reason that I bring up Taylor Swift in our episodes is not to annoy you, although that definitely is part of it, but to have our show come up in search results when people do a search for Taylor Swift. I'm for it. I am totally for it. Also, it's not annoying. I love Taylor Swift. She is really great. I mean, Homegirl has really great music. Right. As long as you don't find these conspiracy theories annoying, I'll continue to bring them. Okay. Okay. Sure. See, I've been playing 4D chess this whole time. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sure. No, I'm kidding. I just probably found out like two weeks ago that Spotify and Apple Podcasts were doing transcripts of our show. So, Mm. yeah, I didn't even know that, but that's pretty cool. If that does gain us more people, sure. Hey. Yeah, for sure. I don't care. (laughs) Enough fucking Irani Sala. Ready to get started? Always. Great. Let's get started. Now, I know that we don't normally say the episode number in our show, but this episode is different because the episode number is significant. Do you know what the episode number is? Um, what is it? Like 122, 120 something. What are we? No, we're past that. Oh. Now, I'm going to bring a special guest who does know the episode number and why it's significant. So let me let our guests know that we're ready for them to make their appearance. Okay, ding dong. Elena, welcome to the episode. How are you doing today? Doing fine, thanks. How are you? Doing great also. And great to have you on today for our special milestone episode. Isela still does not know what's significant about today. So (laughs) I'm going to play a hint. Hopefully we don't get sued or taken down from YouTube. We'll see if Isela can guess. And if not, you can let her in on the secret, okay? All right. So have you figured it out yet, Isela? Is it 138? Is the answer 138? (laughs) The answer is 138. And do you know what's significant about 138? It comes right after 137. Go. (laughs) Close. Elena, let her know why you're on the show today. Today is the 138th episode. And since it's episode number 138, there is no better way to dedicate this episode than to a band that has meant so much to Elena and me. The Misfits. Yes. Now, I can't speak for Elena, but I can't think of any other band that has meant more to me, that has been more important to me, 
and that I have loved more than the Misfits. How long have you been listening to them, Elena? Man, as long as I can remember. We've <laughs> gone to almost every show. I mean, every show that they've stopped by in El Paso, at least, we've gone to. So Yeah, and I can't remember either how long it's been, but I think I was like 12 or 13 the first time that I heard them. Yeah, I can't remember the first time because, I mean, I was much younger than that. So yeah. the, the concerts are core memories when I started listening to them is not. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So the following is from the Misfits Central Timeline by Mark Kennedy with gaps filled in by articles on Wikipedia. Links in the show notes. Show notes. <laughs> the Misfits is a hardcore punk band from Lodi, New Jersey, formed in 1977 by singer-songwriter Glenn Danzig that combined the melodies and song structures of punk music and married them with the speed and aggression of hardcore and metal. While many of the punk bands of that generation focused on political issues and made social commentaries, the Misfits differentiated themselves by mainly focusing on horror and sci-fi, oftentimes writing songs about some of their favorite movies and actors, all sung with Danzig's trademark voice. Their logo and skull are unmistakable and instantly recognizable. Their imagery has been often imitated, and their music has influenced generations of punk, rock, and metal bands. But they haven't been without controversy, and due to constant lineup changes and turmoil within the band, most of their music wasn't released until after the band had split up, and their fame and notoriety wouldn't come until years after their breakup. Turn the lights down low and bolt the door up, because today's episode will be all about the Misfits. Woo-woo! But first, are you ladies familiar with the Misfits? Helena, you obviously are. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. <laughs> Tell me again who they are. No, just kidding. <laughs> what about you, Isela? Are you familiar with them? Yes. I didn't recognize the song that you were playing, but I knew right away that was Danzig singing. Yeah. His voice is definitely unmistakable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I'm just going to be going through some of their history. You all are more than welcome to intercede and share your thoughts, opinions, whatever's on your mind. Cool. Now, The Misses was one of the first bands that combined most of the things that I love. Songs about sci-fi and horror, Glenn Danzig's amazing singing, songwriting, and melodies, the attitude and brutality of hardcore punk. And with the release of Earth AD, they gave to us, they gifted us the Speed Metal Bible. Today, we'll be doing the history of the Misfits, or at least the original 1977 to 1983 era of the Misfits. And I'll touch a bit on some of the drama that happened afterwards, but that won't be the focus because honestly, Danzig is the Misfits. And even though I've enjoyed some of the albums that have come out post-Danzig, Danzig formed the band and wrote all the songs. So that's what we'll, what we'll focus on. Okay. So here's a question for you, Elena. Pop quiz, hotshot. Uh-oh. Who are the four original members of the Misfits? I'm going to say Danzig, Doyle, um, Dr. Oh my gosh, what's his name? The drummer. I can't remember his name. Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> Dr. Feelgood from Motley Crue. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I drew a blank. I remember Doyle and Danzig. Hey, and then D, Dr. Everything with the D. <laughs> <A ver. laughs> well, there is one person with the D, but not the person you're thinking. I'll go ahead and, and say it. Yeah, I can't remember. Okay, no problem. Glenn Danzig formed the Misfits with drummer Manny Martinez and bassist Diane Di Piazza. 
in October of 1976. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that at all. <laughs> there was also a guitarist who was a friend of Manny Martinez, but his name has been lost to history. Que gacho, verdad? <laughs> oh, how sad. Yeah. David Zedo. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Something with the D. <laughs> no, you're thinking of Dr. Chud, but Dr. Chud didn't come to like... Dr. Chud. He didn't come to like 20 years after, <laughs> I think. Oh, well, those are the ones that I know, so... <laughs> Dr. Chud joined in 1995, and this was back in 1976. Ooh, no. Damn. That's way before my time. <laughs> yeah. Glenn Danzig was born Glenn Allen Anzalone in Lodi, New Jersey on June 23rd, 1955. Danzig is known for his baritone and tenor voice and has been compared to Elvis Presley, Jim Morrison, and Howling Wolf. In 2023, Rolling Stone named Glenn Danzig one of the 200 greatest singers of all time. Aside from writing all the music for the Misfits, Sam Hain, and Danzig, he also wrote music for other musicians most notably Johnny Cash and Roy Orbison. Oh, wow. wow. Are you all familiar with those musicians? Yeah. Yes. His father was a television repairman and United States Marine Corps veteran of World War II and the Korean War. His mother worked at a record store. Danzig graduated from Lodi High School in June of 1973 and wanted to be a comic book creator and professional photographer. He attended the Tisch School of the Arts and the New York Institute of Photography. Danzig described Black Sabbath, The Ramones, Blue Cheer, and The Doors as his early musical influences. I could see that. Yeah, definitely The Doors. Yeah, yeah, definitely The Doors, yeah. And I've always described Danzig as sounding like the love child of Elvis and Jim Morrison. Yeah. Danzig took piano and clarinet lessons as a child and taught himself how to play guitar. He also never took any vocal lessons, so his amazing, powerful singing is all self-taught. He played in several local bands leading up to the Misfits, but none of them really amounted to anything. Now, does anybody want to take a guess at what inspired Danzig to name his band the Misfits? It was two things. I failed horribly at the first question, so <laughs> pass. Uh, I mean, wasn't it just because he felt like he didn't belong, like a misfit? He did consider himself to be a social misfit. Okay. So that is one reason. Take it. The second reason is that it was the name of Marilyn Monroe's last film. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Cool. So he was a Monroe fan. He was obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> he even wrote a song called Who Killed Marilyn, uh, which we're, we'll actually talk a little bit about. But yeah, he was completely obsessed with her. Oh. Well, why wouldn't you be? Yeah. She's badass. I'm not obsessed with her. I'm obsessed with Gal Gadot, but... <laughs> <not> <laughs> Gal Gadot. Isn't it Gal Gadot? Yeah. It is Gadot. Oh, Gal Gadot. <laughs> Whenever I say Gadot, I'm, I'm corrected that it's Gadot. Whenever I say Gadot, I'm corrected that it's Gadot. Oh, it's Gal Gadot. I just <laughs> Gal Gadot do. Have you seen the documentary on Marilyn Marilyn Manson? I also say Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Monroe. I've seen the one on Marilyn Manson. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay, I wasn't a fan until I watched that documentary. And I mean, that was maybe like two, three, four years ago when it came out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I suggest that you watch it. I highly recommend it. it. It's really, really good. She went through a lot. Yeah. Heck yeah. I think with them, the obsession was about whether she died from an overdose or whether it was like, like a murder or something that was made to look like an overdose. Yes. Well, that's what the documentary 
touches on. I think it's called the Maryland tapes or something like that, or the Monroe tapes. Oh, it's it's so good. You need to watch it. You hear the actual nine one one call. I think. Oh wow. You hear a lot of tapes. Yeah, you hear a lot of tapes. Yeah, it it totally convinced me that it was not a suicide or an accident. I don't think it was a suicide either. I think they just failed to get her timely on purpose. They failed to get her timely help. Yeah, it's it's very possible. I I don't know enough about the situation, but I know that there is a debate similar to the whole John F. Kennedy assassination. Mm. There's a you know big a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding that. Yeah. The works of author Charles Baudelaire and Edgar Allan Poe spawned his appreciation for horror. Now, even though the Misfits were formed in October of 1976, they weren't truly born until March of 1977, when Manny Martinez introduced Danzig to bassist Jerry Gaiafa. Jerry would hang out with his friends at the park near Manny's house and would watch him practice the drums, and they would often hang out and talk about music together. Almost instantly, Manny... Jerry and Glenn started playing as a trio, rehearsing songs that Glenn had written, including such future classics as She, Bullet, Hollywood Babylon, and In the Doorway. Glenn at this time played keyboards and sang while Manny and Jerry played drums and bass respectively. It should be noted at this point that Jerry had only been playing bass for one month. Wow. Wow. Jerry only. That's what you're talking about? We'll get to Jerry only. Oh, so it's not Jerry only. (laughs) <laughs> I will say that it's Jerry Gaiafa. It's Jerry not only. Because <laughs> there's another Jerry. Yeah. We're going to get to Jerry only. But that was the other name that I was missing. Yeah. I know that you were going to say Danzig, Jerry only, and Doyle. Because that's the classic lineup. And they had so many drummers, like it's not even worth like <laughs> saying who the drummer was. Although personally, Robo was my favorite. Just because he was the fastest, but... They had so many. It, there, there was not one core drummer that they had. I'm just going to remember the ones that I met. You met Jerry and Doyle. Even though I didn't. Yeah, even though I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if either of you have ever heard this, but there's a version of She released in August of 1977 with Danzig on keyboards that they released on their own label, Blank Records. This is before they had a guitarist, so it sounded really weird. such a trip, huh? Especially when you think that this is the band that would later end up becoming hardcore and metal pioneers. Yeah, it is. What do you think about that, Isela? You could still hear a little bit of what they were going to become, though, still, because it's still got like, they still have like a, a cool, like fast beat, of course, it's classic vocals. It's just, a, it almost feels like a 
like a real stripped ver <laughs> a real stripped version, you know, <laughs> a little naked. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds almost like a lounge song or something. Yeah. <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Yeah. What did you think, Elena? I don't know if you've ever heard that version of the song. No, I haven't. I mean, it was a little hard to hear for me, but I mean, I could tell that it was missing something. But um, I definitely recognize the song. I was singing along to it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a very rough version of that of that song. Now, she was actually the B-side of their first single, Cough Cool. Jerry Gaiafa's last name was misspelled on the back of their first single, leading Jerry to insist that in the future, he be credited only as Jerry. Jerry only. From this day forth, he would forever be known as... Jerry only. Yes. And that became a stage and professional name. <laughs> that is very funny. So he is one and the same. It was, but I wanted to reach the reveal of how he became Jerry only. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Which is funny because it almost sounds like he was like, just like Jerry, almost like Madonna, you know? And then instead of getting the one name, yeah, he got the two names. <laughs> yeah, that was totally his intention is just Jerry. Jerry. My name is Jerry only. And then they're like, okay, they wrote down Jerry only. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Damn it. That's not what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Like those uh, cakes that you see where people um, mess up the cakes for people, <laughs> people's birthdays and graduations. <laughs> yeah, it, that is a cool little origin story for it. Yeah. In October of 1977, Frank Licata, who went by the name of Frenchy Coma, joined the band on guitar and the band started playing live as a four piece. And you can pretty much say that they now would be considered a punk band, or at least they were described as being punk by those that witnessed their early shows as a four piece. This also allowed Glenn to start phasing out the keyboards and focus more on singing. In November of 1977, Mercury Records released an album by Perry Ubu which I've never heard of, under their own Blank Records imprint, unaware that the Misfits label was already called Blank Records. Mercury offered the band 30 hours of studio time in exchange for the rights to use Blank Records permanently and the option of releasing the album. So in January of 1978, Glenn and Jerry kicked Manny out of the band due to being too unreliable and invited Jim Catania, who went by the name of Mr. Jim, to join on drums. The new lineup entered CI Recording Studios in January of 1978 and recorded 17 songs, mixing 14 of them for their debut album, Static Age. Now let me play you a part of She that was re-recorded for what would have been their debut album, Static Age. And I think this is the one that you're familiar with, Elena. So it definitely sounds like punk music now, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And that's closer to what most people that have heard the Misfits, what they would consider their sound to be like. Yes, definitely. Now, I say that this was from what would have been their debut album because Mercury Records chose not to release the album. So the Misfits released four of the songs from the sessions on their 7-inch EP Bullet on their new label, Plan 9 Records. Plan 9 was taken from one of their favorite horror movies, Plan 9 from Outer Space. At this time, the EP also featured the new and now iconic Misfits logo that Glenn had designed. So all those years of going to art school had finally paid off. (laughs) (laughs) So then Mercury Records, they took the name Blank Records or whatever. Or what was it? Bullet? No, Blank, right? Blank Records. And with the promise of them getting studio time and releasing an album, and then they didn't release their album? They gave them 30 hours of studio time, like I guess as payment for uh, for using Blank Records in perpetuity. And they had the option of releasing the album. So they said, go record it, send us the album, and we have the option of releasing it. So they chose not to exercise that option. Oh, that's messed up though. Shit. So again, keep in mind, this was in 1978. Remember that when we discuss when the album actually came out. Okay. Because it did actually come out, but... (laughs) But way later. (laughs) It's going to be way later. Yeah. So in the next couple of years, the Misfits had several tours, several lineup changes, and recorded numerous EPs and singles. I'm not going to document all of them, but I'll name a few that shaped the band's image and sound. On the December 3rd, 1978 live show, Jerry started wearing his hair in the now iconic Devil Lock hairstyle which would forever become associated with the Misfits and Danzig's future band, Samhain. Sawin. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, even Danzig calls it Samhain, so... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Although I have heard him say Sawin, like, in a couple of interviews. There is a song where he actually says Samhain and he calls it Sawin. So I think he he uh, did interchange it. Yeah. It's very potato-potato, godot-godot. Yep. (laughs) Gado, Gadot is the new potato potato. (laughs) Don't forget Gadu. How sad for her. Yeah. On March 28th, 1979, the Misfits performed at Max's Kansas City. The poster for the show featured the band's first use of the Crimson Ghost, which Jerry and Danzig had taken from a movie of the same name. So, this is the iconic skull that has forever become associated with the Misfits. Chances are, If you see someone on the street with a Misfits t-shirt or a tattoo, it includes the Crimson Ghost. And uh, again, that's a skull that's on my shirt and on Elena's shirt. On October 31st, 1979, the Misfits announced their new fan club known as the Fiend Club, which is another staple of the Misfits. And if you would write in, they would send you a fanzine and any stickers, pins, buttons, whatever they happen to have lying around. They also had merchandise that you could obtain only by being a Fiend Club member. If you happened to be daring and went to the Fiend Club address, which was 145 West 27th Street, number 2E, New York, New York, 10001. And if you happened to be home, Glenn Danzig would greet you, as the Fiend Club at that time was operated out of Glenn Danzig's apartment. Oh, wow. that's cool. <laughs> that. That's a while. It's kind of like uh, when I send stuff to our patrons, it's got my address on there. So, 
Hopefully nobody's creepy and decides to <laughs> to hit me up. I know. Maybe yeah. we should do a peel box. <laughs> All right. At least text me first. Uh, I mean, I'm always down, but okay. at least text first. So you can look pretty. <laughs> yeah. Put your lipstick on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least make sure that I shaved my legs and everything or whatever. <laughs> and I was actually a member of the Fiend Club in the uh, late 90s. Mm-hmm. And that is actually how Elena and I got to meet the Misfits back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Do you remember that, Elena? Of course I do. <laughs> or do you remember the story of what happened? I remember that was a, that was a, that very first show when they took a long time to open the doors, right? And we were being like pushed up against a fence before they opened up the fence. Is it that show? Or you don't remember that part? I don't remember that part. Yeah, it was like uh, there was a fence and we were kind of being pushed against it before they opened the doors. And then, or that could have been after the show, maybe. And I just remember you kept on saying that you were a member of the of the Fiend Club. And then we just kind of stuck around and then somehow we just got lucky. Well, what I did is, is since I had the Fiend Club card, we actually went to Kinko's and made Fiend Club oh, cards yeah. for all of us. That's true. Yeah, I remember that. So we all pulled up. <laughs> With like these fake, well, there was one legit Fiend Club cart and the rest were like fake Kinko's carts. <laughs> <laughs> we're all part of the Fiend Club, right? You're like, how are you all number five? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing was that I was under the impression that being a Fiend Club member, you got to meet the band. So they wouldn't come out. We couldn't meet them or whatever. So I ended up writing on the back of my card, the Fiend Club is a joke. And I gave it to like one of like the security guards or something. Somehow they got this back to the band and they came out because I did that. <laughs> I guess they were like offended that I that I did that. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so that's her little story. I'm surprised we stuck around after you did that. I don't remember that part of the story, but I mean, I was really young. I think that that was like the hope that we would get to to meet them and see them. So I think we stuck around until we saw the, we're, we said, we're going to stick around until we see that bus drive out of here. And it was worth our while. Oh. On August 7th, 1980, the Misfits entered Master Sound Productions in Franklin Square, New York to begin recording 12 songs for a future release. In addition to Bobby Steele, who was the Misfits guitarist at the time, Jerry's little brother, Paul Kayafa, who went by the name of Doyle, had started rehearsing with the band and played guitar on some of the tracks. Shortly before the band's annual Halloween show, Jerry informed Bobby Steele that he had been replaced by Doyle. We finally have the classic lineup of Glenn Danzig on vocals, Jerry only on bass, and Doyle on guitars. And one of my favorite songs to come out of that classic recording session was Ghoul's Night Out, which I'll play you a small sample of. So 
They're starting to get a little bit heavier, a little bit harder. They're still maintaining that punk sound. What do you think of that song, Isela, since I know that you're probably the, the least familiar of us three? It's still a, it's a really fun song. I mean, even just like the simple drums, I still totally dig. It, it fits perfectly with that song. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Who was the drummer then? Um, I think it was still Mr. Jim. Ah, Mr. Jim. Yeah, uh, just for the record, I didn't keep track of their drummer, so I might be wrong on that. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's fine. But it was definitely Danzig on vocals, Jerry only on bass. And here is where it gets foggy. Like I couldn't find if, if this was Bobby Steele on guitar or if it was Doyle. Uh. Um, and again, I tried looking up information on what was the first song Doyle recorded with the Misfits, but I couldn't find that information, sadly. But either way, I think that it is a good representation of the material that was recorded at Master Sound in 1980. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we'll talk about the Misfits' classic lineup and release of their first album, Walk Among Us. Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and rating a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. We're a podcast based in the Savannah, Georgia area. Savannah is widely known as the most haunted city in America. We bring you stories not just from Savannah, but from all over. Thus, the beyond. We cover a myriad of topics on our show, including the paranormal, oddities, unsolved mysteries, true crime, and bi-weekly reports from our local police blotter. We also do a weekly segment called What We're Watching. And we'll also discuss the ongoing antics of our two furry canine friends on our segment, Layla and Coffee Talk. So tune in every week on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to Scary Savannah and Beyond. Everywhere podcasts are sold. You know podcasts are free. What do you mean free? I'm doing this for free? That's scary. No, that's Scary Savannah and Beyond. back we're back we're back did y'all record any punk songs during our break i did we're penning them right now oh awesome it was a uh, blank records but they're not going to release it <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned to 2034 right <laughs> actually that fucking sucks huh hell yeah yeah that does now um so what are your thoughts so far um i'm especially interested in you your thoughts isela since i know that you didn't grow up listening to them like elena and i did so it's kind of like an outsider. What do you think? Yeah. No, I mean, it It, it sounds really cool. I, I always kind of got into 
punk when I was in high school anyway. I like NoFX I loved and, you know, Operation Ivy. There was like a lot of cool bands that I used to like. But no, I mean, I I can hear their evolution of their sound and his vocals. Like he has such a rich voice. Like it's just hard not to like him in general. Yeah, for sure. And what about you, Elena? Is this new to you? Super new. Didn't even know they existed. Well, that's not what I meant. I meant is this information new to you? The history. Oh, well, yeah. I've never uh, done a deep dive on the Misfits. I've just listened to their music. So all of it is new. Okay, cool. So what do you all think about the samples I've played thus far? I mean, the first one to the second one, we're like, this is what it was before. And then like, this is a little more. I, yeah, you can tell how they, they added bass. And then the bass was all like cool and snazzy. And, you know, the everything just sounded like fuller and richer. So, I mean, you can tell it sounded like a garage band at the beginning, you know, just just a couple people messing around. And it was good, though. It wasn't just a typical like bad garage band. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to hear the rough draft of the song. Yeah. <laughs> so the band's going to start evolving really quick from here. When we last left off, Doll had just joined the Misfits as their new guitarist and the classic Misfits lineup was not complete. Several of the songs that were recorded on August 7th were released as singles, and the group continued playing the occasional show. In June of 1981, Danzig, Jerry, and Doyle went into Mixolydian and Newfound Sound Studios to start recording the tracks for their debut album, Walk Among Us. This was also going to be Plan 9, the record label's first full-length release. Danzig contacted Slash Magazine, which is a punk rock magazine of that era, to advertise the album, and they offered Danzig a one album contract and an offer to release Walk Among Us on their Slash record label. As a result, Walk Among Us was released in March of 1982 on Ruby Records, a Slash Records imprint. It would also have the unfortunate distinction of being the only full-length Misfits album to be released while the classic lineup was still together. That's some foreshadowing, as we call it here in the business. Only in the business. Yes. <laughs> Rounding out the lineup was Arthur Googie on drums. In contrast to some of the other material that has been released at that point, Walk Among Us was heavier and more raw and gave us a glimpse at what they would evolve into. And here's a sample of I Turn Into a Martian from that recording. So as you can hear, they still retain a lot of the melody and catchiness of their earlier material, but we're starting to incorporate speed and aggression. Doyle's playing style of using down-picked eighth notes added to the heaviness of the sound. Now at this point, is it off-putting yet, Isela? <laughs> no, no, it's a lot of fun, especially because you can tell that if that was played live, 
everyone's thinking the, you know, oh, you know, you can just imagine. Yeah. It would, yeah. It would be a fun live song. Yeah. All their songs are a lot of fun because they do a lot of oh's and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, typical punk style. Yeah. What about you, Elena? Are you familiar with this song? Do you remember it? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you remember or anything. I remember. Not only a month after the album had been released, Danzig and Arthur Googie got into an argument at a McDonald's in Los Angeles because the band was running out of money and Googie wanted another cheeseburger, leading to Googie quitting the band. Oh, and <laughs> just over a cheeseburger, <laughs> which I'm sure were like 49 cents back then. <laughs> I'm sure, if not less. Wow. Well, imagine how poor they must have been if a cheeseburger was something to cause a big argument about. Yeah, but to like quit, that's that's pretty big. He really wanted that cheeseburger. <laughs> or or he wanted the cheeseburger, but Glenn was over there like with his giant milkshake and shit. He's like, I only got one cheeseburger. You got even, you know. <laughs> and his Big Mac. <laughs> and the, the quarter pounder. With <laughs> now, the sad part is that they were actually in California at the time. They should have gone to In-N-Out or it didn't exist. Um, I'm not sure if it did. Oh, probably not. <laughs> but they were in Los Angeles because they were going to record their follow-up EP, Earth AD. Mm. So Googie quitting the band, that was a setback that forced the band to scrap their plans to record their follow-up CD or follow-up album. Damn. The Misfits performed several shows throughout 1982 in support of Walk Among Us, but without a drummer of their own, the band was forced to rely on drummers from other bands that they were sharing the bill with. One famous show was their June 25th, 1982 performance at Irving Plaza, where the Necros and a little-known band called the Beastie Boys opened up for them. Y'all ever heard of the Beastie Boys? Of course. (laughs) Yes, of course. That's fun. That's weird to consider the Beastie Boys once opened up for the Misfits. No, they were pretty punk, too. Oh, they were pretty punk. They combined punk and rap. They were like new punk Kind of like that new metal. <laughs> no, but what I mean is that the Beastie Boys ended up becoming infinitely mo- more popular and well-known. Oh. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm. They were um, more mainstream. Or especially they became popular while they were still a band. At this point, the Misfits were not popular yet, and they didn't become popular until well after they had disbanded. True. Todd Swalla from the Necros played drums for them that night. The Misfits also became good friends with Black Flag during that time. Oh, cool. And Henry Rollins would often go on stage and join the Misfits on vocals during Astro Zombies and We Are 138. I saw Henry Rollins in Albuquerque. You did? Yes, I told you. I called you. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw Henry Rollins. (laughs) How fun. Yeah, I actually don't remember, but that is really cool that you got to meet him. No, I didn't meet him. I just saw him in passing. Oh. I don't know if he had had a show or something. Oh, I thought he was playing. No. Oh. No, no. I was out partying downtown and I saw him passing and I was like, oh my God, it's Henry <laughs> Rollins. And then I called you right away to tell you, but I guess you forgot. Well, I'm old now, so a lot of my memories are fading. Whatever. <laughs> As I drift further into dementia, I feel, but... <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure you're familiar with Henry Rollins, right, Isela? Yes. Uh-huh. So when former Black Flag drummer Robo returned to the States from England in July of 1982, he informed Robo that the Misfits needed a drummer. So Robo called up Danzig, and Danzig invited him to join the band. With Doyle having graduated high school the month before and the new drummer on board, they kicked off a lengthy tour with the Necros opening for them. 
While on tour, the band stopped at Unicorn Records Warehouse Studio in Santa Monica, California, and Jerry, Doyle, and Robo recorded the instrumental tracks for their upcoming album, Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood, from around midnight to 8 in the morning of October 3rd. Danzig slept during most of the session, but was awakened while recording Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight to make sure that they got the timing right during the pause at the middle of the song. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. That's funny. He cared. He cared enough, at least for that one song. Yeah. Well, if you haven't heard the song, there's like a long pause where the band stops playing and you hear Danzig go, Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? And the band comes in. So they wanted to make sure that they got the, I mean, obviously they were recording live, you know, so they had to get the timing just right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Yeah, that is. <laughs> he slept for most of the time that they were recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so keep in mind, they only recorded at this time just the music. There were no vocals recorded. In a March 1983 interview with Flesh and Bones, Danzig talked about his plans to do a, another solo project, but this time with an actual band. According to Danzig, he had already written the songs The Shift, The Howl, All Murder, All Guts, All Fun, and He Who Cannot Be Named which would end up being songs on the first Sam Hain album, Initium. More foreshadowing. Although I do have a tendency to misspeak, I didn't when I said that Danzig wanted to do another solo project. His previous solo project was a song, Who Killed Marilyn, which was recorded by Danzig in 1981 during the Walk Among Us recording sessions. According to Danzig, Jerry and Doyle couldn't be bothered to practice and perform the song, so Danzig just recorded it all on his own. Oh, wow. Jerry refutes this claim, and said that he had no reason not to do the song and doesn't know why Danzig released that song as a solo single. Eventually, the Misfits ended up recording the song and it was released on their compilation, Legacy of Brutality, and on their box set. So who's telling the truth? But, well, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really don't know. I was just thinking who wanted the cheeseburger more. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we we've moved like two years past the cheeseburger, Ellen. <laughs> now it's a Big Mac. But the hunger pangs. The hunger pangs still remain. Yeah. <laughs> hey, those hunger pains are real, man. They are real. It For is. Real. Yeah, they yeah. are. <laughs> On June eleventh, nineteen eighty three, the misfits opened up for Black Flag at the Santa Monica Civic Center in Santa Monica, California in front of 3,000 people, which was their largest crowd up until that point. After the show, Danzig told Henry Rollins that he was going to leave the band. In July of 1983, the Misfits entered Fox Studios in Rutherford, New Jersey to finish recording and mixing Earth ED slash Wolf's Blood. That's when I was born. It is, yeah. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Were you there? Do you remember the recording session? I I was there. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, Earth AD was originally going to be a five-song EP, but the band decided to record Green Hell and Hellhound, which they had already been playing live. Danzig also gave the band the songs Blood Feast and Death Comes Ripping, which had been written for and was planning to be used in his upcoming Samhain project. In August of 1983, after having had several arguments with Danzig, Robo announced that he was leaving the band and moved out of Danzig's basement and returned to Los Angeles. This prompted Danzig to cancel the Canadian tour they had booked, and he flew to Washington, D.C. to play with several members of the band Minor Threat in hopes of forming a new group called Samhain. 
Later that month, he started recording tracks in Lodi, New Jersey for Sam Haynes' first album, Initium, with Al Pike on bass and Steve Zing on drums. In September of 1983, Danzig started rehearsing with former members of Rosemary's Babies. Jerry had contacted Arthur Googie about returning to the band, but he stated that he would only play with the band if the band... If he got his cheeseburger. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, he, he wasn't that far <laughs> off because he said that he would only play with the band if the band paid him up front for their shows. Okay, with cheeseburgers. Well, he wanted to buy his own damn cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> Danzig refused to work with him again. In October of 1983, they were able to get another drummer, Brian Keats, who went by the name of Brian Damage, to join the band, and Jerry had booked the band a tour of Germany to support their upcoming release, Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood and Evil Live, which was going to be a live record. Having secured a new drummer, Danzig decided not to leave the band. On October 29th of 1983, the Mystics played their annual Halloween show at Greystone Hall in Detroit, Michigan, with the Necros opening for them. Prior to starting the show, Brian got so drunk that he was not able to keep up with the rest of the band, forcing Todd Swalla from the Necros to fill in on the drums once again. And it's just the Necros, right? Not Necromaniac? No, just the Necros. Oh, okay. Because I've seen the Necromaniacs, but not the Necros. Yeah, um, I don't think I've ever checked the Necros out, so I'm not sure what they sound like. But with a name like that, they sound like they probably would have been like horror punk also. Yeah, because Necromaniac is punk for sure. Uh, it's kind of like, um, uh, what's that called? Like um, 50s punk or what is that? Oh, like Rockabilly? Yes, it's more Rockabilly, yeah. But I've seen the Necromaniac, so I didn't know if it was the same or not. Or maybe it's a spinoff of the Necros, I don't know. Maybe, I'm not sure. Have you heard the Misela? No, neither. So again, Brian got so drunk that he was unable to keep up with the rest of the band. Todd Swalla, he was, he was like the hero that came in and filled in on the drums again. Before the drummer switch, Danzig announced that this would be the Misfits' last show ever. The band drove back to New Jersey together, and Jerry and Doyle never spoke with Danzig or Brian again. Wow. <laughs> again, until... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> on December 12th, 1983, Plan 9 Records released Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood, but the Misfits were no more and never toured in support of the album. Now, since this was their second album release, I'll play a sample off of it so you can see how the band had evolved from Walk Among Us to Earth AD. This song is called Devil Lock. <laughs> So as you can hear, they continued building on what they had started with uh, Walk Among Us and took it to a whole new level of speed and brutality. So what do you think, Isela? Have you, have you ever heard that song? I had not heard that song, but there's definitely a lot more like 
crashing of the cymbals and you can hear a little more like it's not as tightened up, but it's kind of, you know, it's getting a little crazier. Definitely crazier. I actually think that that was like probably the tightest they've ever sounded. As far as the music. It was harder. Yeah. A lot harder, a lot faster for sure. Less of the woes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the devil lock, that's what they would call their, their little hairstyle, right? Correct. Yeah. That was their devil lock. Mm. In March of 1984, Danzig formed Sam Hain with Erie Vaughn on bass, Steve Zing on drums, and Lyle Pressler on guitar. In May of 1984, Plan 9 released Die, Die, My Darling, which contained the rest of the songs that were recorded at Fox Studios during the Earth AD recording session. In August of 1984, Sam Hain's debut album, Initium, was released on Plan 9 Records. And this is all I'm really going to cover on Sam Hain, since this is supposed to be about the Misfits. But I did want to bring that up because in the summer of 1985, Danzig signed a deal with Caroline Records to distribute all subsequent Plan 9 releases and reissued several of the Misfits and Sam Hain's previous albums. The first Misfits release on Caroline was Legacy of Brutality, which featured previously unreleased Misfits songs, but it wasn't really true Misfits songs, as Danzig had gone back and overdubbed new guitar and bass tracks, in essence removing Jerry and Doyle from the recordings. Sass. Wow. Danzig claimed that the song sounded a lot better with the new guitar and bass tracks, and in a lot of interviews I read with them, one of his frustrations with Jerry and Doyle was that they were very sloppy and criticized their lack of practicing. I think one time he said that they were more interested in lifting weights than, than uh, practicing their instruments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he had also said that if they would just practice more, he wouldn't have left the Misfits. Jerry claims that the bass and guitars were overdubbed so that Danzig didn't have to pay him royalties. Uh, Legacy of Brutality doesn't contain any songs with Doyle on them. So this was like before Doyle even joined the band. These were the songs that were re recorded during Static Age. Oh, wow. Which was supposed to be their first album. So this is the original recording of Hybrid Moments from that session with Jerry on bass. So this is like with the full Misfits playing. And then I'll play you the version that Danzig re-recorded with uh, the bass and guitars on it. You guys can say which one do you think sounds better. So the first one is the version of Hybrid Moments with the full band. So this is the version that Danzig re-recorded that, according to him, sounds better.
What did y'all think? I was kind of having, I was having a hard time hearing the difference. I think I need to hear it live. <laughs> I definitely like the sloppier version though. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> With Jerry only and, <laughs> and Doyle. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> You're right though. Even just in general, I think the differences were really slight. I mean, you can tell the difference, especially, uh, you know, like the sound quality, but because it is still in the genre of punk, personally, I still liked the first one better. I thought it fit that sound and that song better. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. Personally, I think that Danzig's recorded version sounds like shit. <laughs> like shit. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I didn't say that, but okay. Those are wow. some strong fighting words. Sheesh, yeah. Forget your cheeseburger. <laughs> That's okay. I can buy my own damn cheeseburger. <laughs> but I feel like um, it has too much reverb. And the guitars do sound heavier. I mean, there's more distortion, mm -hmm. but yeah. the bass is complete and audible almost. It's like buried in the mix. Yeah. In August of 1987, Metallica released Garage Days Re-Revisited, an EP that featured cover songs of their favorite bands. This included two songs from The Misfits, Last Caress and Green Hell. For many, this was the first time that they had ever heard songs by The Misfits, leading to a surge in The Misfits' popularity and introducing the band to many in the metal community. And personally, I caught myself in that group. Had it not been for those covers, I probably would have never heard of the Misfits, or I probably would have heard of them much later, had it not been for Metallica. Yeah. Guns N' Roses recorded Attitude on their 1983 album, The Spaghetti Incident, introducing hard rock fans to the band and an even wider audience. Oh my God, I've never heard it. It's not great. I, well, I was going to say, I, that's probably why <laughs> I can't really picture that song in, in Axl Rose's voice. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't Axl singing it. I think it was like the bass player, Duff McKeegan or whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's better or not. <laughs> or at least if I remember correctly, maybe it was Axl, but I, I had that album when I was a kid and I want to say that it was Duff McKeegan that, uh, that sang it. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, there's no way that Axl Rose could, could sing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I cannot picture it at all. <laughs> In August of 1994, Jerry announced for the first time that the Misfits would be getting back together. He said he was trying to settle with Danzig to be able to perform as the Misfits. In January of 1995, an out-of-court settlement was reached with Danzig and Jerry, allowing Jerry and Doyle to perform and record as the Misfits. As part of the settlement, the Misfits shared the rights to the name and their now iconic Crimson Ghost logo with Glenn for merchandising. But again, they, they could uh, use the name to perform. Jerry also tried to receive a portion of the royalties from album sales, claiming that all the Misfits material had been credited to Danzig. Jerry admits that all the lyrics and most of the music was written by Danzig, but he and Doyle wrote maybe 25 to 30% of the music and deserved compensation. Danzig insisted that he had written all the songs in their entirety and the other members' creative input had been minimal. Jerry and Doyle were not granted any songwriting credit or compensation. Which for this, I kind of agree with Danzig because he's always written all the music in every band that he's ever been in. But again, he said, she said, those are both sides of the story. Yeah. On April 26, 1995, Jerry and Doyle went to Danzig's hotel room after a Danzig performance in Red Bank, New Jersey, to invite Danzig to join the Misfits. They were escorted out by Danzig security, so Jerry stated he took that as a no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess that was a no, yeah. I guess. <laughs> He's still waiting to hear back. 
<laughs> Reports are in. <laughs> He's still waiting to hear back. <laughs> After this incident, Jerry and Doyle set about reforming the Misfits and brought in David Calabrese on drums and Michael Emmanuel on vocals. They started going by their stage names of Dr. Chud and Michael Graves, respectively. Doyle also adopted the new stage name of Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein for some reason around this same time as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rebranding. <sighs> so weird. Yeah, it's super weird. I was like, for some reason, he decided to rename himself. <laughs> Just Doyle sounded fucking cool on its own. Doyle only. <laughs> yeah, Jerry only, Doyle yeah. only. Yeah. They're brothers, right? <laughs> they are. On February 27th, 1996, the Misfits released a box set that included almost all the recorded material. And for the first time, Static Age, which was recorded in 1978 and would have been their first album, was finally released. Wow. 17 years later or something. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, it was released <laughs> almost 20 years later. Yeah. Jeez, that's sad. The two omissions from the box set were their 1982 album, Walk Among Us, which had been released by Slash Records. Also, Jerry chose to hold back on the song In the Doorway in order to be able to re-release the Static Age as a separate album in 1997 and forced the fans to re-buy the album for that one song. And I remember being super pissed off about that because I had just dropped 100 <laughs> bucks on the box set and then I had to drop another 20 bucks on the CD just for one song. But it is a banger of a song, and it was totally <laughs> worth it. <laughs> smart. It was smart. And I'll play a sample of it. I read in interviews that Danzig was super pissed at Jerry for holding back the song and stated that it should have been released in the box set all along. But it's a super banger, and, and I have to play it. That was in the doorway. Which I'm sure you played over and over and over again when you dropped those 20 bucks on that album. <laughs> I'm going to make this shit worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say they had a sample of it. And it was like maybe like a 10 second sample or something ridiculous because this was like back when the internet was like really new. So I think um, they had it on some website, like one of like Blockbuster Music or something. And just on those 10 seconds or whatever they had on there, I said, this album is totally worth buying just just on the strength of like those 10 seconds. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I did play that song over and over. And to me, it feels like a misfit song that always was, you know, Aww. just from how many times that I've, I've heard it. Now, the new incarnation of the misfits with Michael Graves and Dr. Chud released two albums together. 
American Psycho in 1997, and Famous Monsters in 1999. Personally, I loved both albums, but I know that they are divisive among Misfits fans. I'll play a sample of Dig Up Her Bones from American Psycho so you can get an idea of what they sounded like with a new drummer and singer. So I know that you love that song, Elena. I do. What do you think, Isela? The guy's voice is very cool. It's almost like a haunting kind of uh, whispery, different voice. But I have to say, when it comes to bands that change the lead singer, that's your front man. That's like a whole different sound now. It's good, but it's a whole different sound. Like you can't call yourself that same name. It's like when Journey got a whole new front guy. That's not Journey anymore. Call yourself Gurney or something. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not that. You know what I mean? It sounds like it. Sounds like Journey. You're Gurney because you're dead now. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You killed the sound. Yeah. No, I mean, Queen did that a lot too, though. Mm -hmm. After... um, Freddie Mercury and all that, yeah. Freddie Mercury passed, yeah. For me... I think because I was a little bit older, this is a Misfits that I know a lot more than with Danzig. Mm. Like, I I feel like those two albums, um, like, represent my teenage years. And I don't want to say that I like them more than when Danzig was with the, the Misfits, but I'm not going to say that I don't either. No. <laughs> but, um, and also Michael Graves is like... Very, very attractive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, he he. Well, I don't know if I have to say it on here, but he actually ended up being like one of the Proud Boys, and I think he was arre- arrested during January six. Awesome. Mm, no. Who would have known he would have he would end up being a total piece of shit? But no, bueno, not behind that. Well, we didn't know that about who was that other guy from John Schaefer from Ice Earth. Yeah, that sucks too. Yeah, I know. Because they, they're like your idols or people you look up to and then all of a sudden just... Yeah, comes crashing down. Yeah. Yeah, people suck in general, I think. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, they're hidden fascism or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Racist side. Yeah. And I'm with you, Elena. Well, for me, when I think of the Misfits, it's always Danzig. And um, I also agree with you, Isela, that... When like somebody, especially the person that wrote all the damn music, leaves the band, right? You know, one thing is to to lose a singer because even like um, Steve Perry or the singer from Journey, he was actually the replacement singer, but he ended up becoming the the most well known singer. The one that we figure as, yeah, yeah. Same thing with uh, with mo- with a lot of bands with Iron Maiden. Bruce Dickinson was the replacement. 
and he's like the the classic singer. Yeah. Even Rob Halford wasn't the original singer of Judas Priest, but he's like when you think of Judas Priest, you think of Rob Halford. So it's it's the same thing. But they always come back. They do, and we'll if they can. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, a lot of people are are, are very decisive on it. It's almost like choosing a political party. Mm-hmm. For a lot of fans, there is no Misfits without Danzig, which I totally get. I was accepting of them. Like I, I didn't like totally shut them out. And I, I love both for different reasons. Now, sadly, this incarnation of the band was short-lived. They only released two albums together. And I think they put out like a live album and a collection of songs that didn't make it to albums or to any of their albums or anything. Speaking of Danzig, Doyle reunited with Danzig and joined them on stage in December of 2004 to play guitar for a 30-minute set of Misfit songs. It was the first time the two played together in over 20 years. Danzig called the performance the closest thing to a Misfit reunion anyone is ever going to see. Doyle continued joining Danzig on stage during Danzig's 2005 to 2006 Blackest of the Black Tour. And um, I know that I saw them during that tour. Were you also with me, Elena? Is that when we were in Albuquerque? Yeah. Because I didn't live in Albuquerque. Wait, 2002, four. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's when I lived out over there, out there, whatever. How can you not remember? Because like Brian was there. I wasn't 100% sure if, if you were there because I know we went to so many shows together. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I was there. And Doyle had later said in an interview that plans had been in place for the Misfits to reunite with Danzig all the way back in 2002, but Jerry kept on fucking it up. So who knows what that was, but um, apparently they had been in talks since 2002 to reunite. It sounds a wow. lot like the Guns N' Roses fiasco. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's always one person that fucks it up. Yeah. And yeah, and I remember seeing Doyle on stage with fucking Danzig. <laughs> tears, tears. That was like a dream come true. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'm sure for many, yeah. Well, even fucking this podcast, like I felt myself tearing up as I started talking. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to cry all through this fucking shit. But oh. I was going to ask you, are you getting choked up? I was. Yeah, <laughs> I was getting super choked up. Oh, I could <laughs> yeah. hear it. Oh, cute. Aww. See you guys. He has a heart. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're almost done. And maybe this is something that we can look forward to. In May 2016, Danzig, Jerry and Doyle announced they would perform together for the first time in 33 years. Joining them would be Dave Lombardo from Slayer on drums and a second guitarist named A.C. Slade, which I'm not familiar with. <laughs> I thought you were going to say A.C. Slater. <laughs> yeah, it was like the guy from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> Mario Lopez, what? Yeah, formerly known as A.C. Yeah. Slater. He's going by A.C. Slade now. <laughs> the R was getting between him and his, uh, his fans. So. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. kids always truncate yeah. stuff. It's so delish. It's late. <laughs> they headlined the Riot Fest in Chicago and Denver and performed a 25-song set. Since then, they have played a couple of shows each year, their last one being a 2022 Halloween show in Dallas with Alice Cooper and Fear opening up for them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, Alice Cooper ended up being a piece of shit too. But anyway, since they have been playing shows every once in a while, I pray that they play again because my dream is to see the three of them together. That would be totally amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm down. Yeah. Especially with Dave Lombardo from Slayer on the fucking drums. That's fucking sick. Heck yeah. I'm down. Bring your Kleenex. <laughs> yes. I, I will definitely. Yeah, because I will be crying. 
Especially because all these guys are in their 70s now. So, I mean, they're not going to last very much longer. No, sadly. And that is the history of the misfits in as short and concise as I can make it. Oh, and the significance of 138. There are variations to what that means, various theories. One interpretation is that it was inspired by George Lucas's 1971 sci-fi movie, THX-1138. It's a dystopian film where humans are controlled by android police. Jerry and former Misfits guitarist Bobby Steele have supported this interpretation. In a 2000 interview with TWEC.com, which I don't know what that is, Danzig stated that the other members of the Misfits, quote, didn't write it and don't know what the fuck it's about. It's about violence, (laughs) end quote. I also feel like if we're trying to analyze punk songs like that's not the song we want to be like what is this song about you know (laughs) it's i don't i think like punk songs and dance songs those are the songs you should never try to listen to lyrics you know i'm blue blah 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 blue (laughs) (laughs) we don't know what the hell that song's about who cares it's like blah 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 blue (laughs) well um we are 138 about 95 percent of that song is him just saying we are 138 over and over again (laughs) Yeah. That's why who cares what it's about? <laughs> I don't even know why. <laughs> well, I mean, and you said the film is 1138, no? Yeah, or, or 1138. Yeah. So, I mean, that even doesn't make sense. So, make the complete sense. Yeah. And that same interview that I read, they were saying that Danzig had made some stickers of robots that had 138 written on them. So, it, I mean, I can see where they thought that it was a, about being controlled by Android police, like the movie, but. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Danzig wrote the song. He says they don't know what the fuck they're talking about and that it's just about violence. <laughs> All right. That's pretty punk already. It's punk that he doesn't even know what the fuck yeah. it's about. <laughs> That's by definition punk. 138 <laughs> equals violence. That's it. That's all you got to know. No, Danzig didn't know what it's about. He was saying that Jerry and Bobby Steele had no idea what it was about. And some sad news. Original Misfits drummer Manny Martinez died on December 16th, 2023. At the age of 69. Mm. And I was not Aww. able to locate a cause of death. Aww. I know this is probably like the longest episode <laughs> that we've probably recorded. But what did you all think? New appreciation for the Misfits? Uh, indifferent? Yeah, they were really cool. I, I like the deep dive, you know, to kind of hear their progression. Because like one of those songs was almost even... Um, it was getting away from punk and now like graduating a little more into like rock and less punk. I would say new appreciation, but um, I already have them on my playlist, so they come out in my liked songs already. So, and Antonio's become a fan, and he has them on his playlist now too. Yeah, they're one of the few bands where I pretty much like every song that they have. I mean, there's like some stupid songs like um, Brain Eaters and Cough Cool or in Rat Fink, but for the most part, I <laughs> love all their stuff. So, I thought you liked Rat Fink. It's just fun though. Rat Fink, yeah, 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 yeah. I said Rat Fink, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rat Fink, yeah, 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 yeah. R A T T F I N K. Rat Fink. Well, I guess I do like the song. <laughs> Clearly. I was like, how does he hate the song if he sings it all? Special shout out to Super Homie Super Friends Sophia, Natasha, Eric, and Angie. If you want to be super cool and help support the show, Get the episodes a week early and ad-free. Get your name shouted out on the show and get some stickers from us a few times a year. 
Check us out at patreon.com slash technically a conversation or check the show notes. Best of all, it's only $2 a month, baby. You can't even buy cigarettes for that. Negative. Or a Misfits album. Or a Misfits album, yeah. On that high note, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah. <laughs> Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC. Email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have a story of the misfits to share with us. And let us know if you too made a copy of the Fiend Club card at Kinko's. Oh yeah, pinches tarjetas piratas. <laughs> Who remembers Kinko's? Let's let's just go there. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs>